again to episode 81 Gil, is that correct that is correct good episode 81 of gallon roscoe's bodacious porn horror podcast yes my name is roscoe and i'm joined once again by my dear friend most bodacious of colleagues mr gil rokotansky gil how the devil are you my friend i'm very good it's a pleasure to be on this porncast <laughs> And this week we're going to be reviewing. <laughs> well, let's not go into that. Um, okay, so are you well, man? What's been happening? Uh, I'm pretty good. I'm down in the Shire. And I am up in the big smoke. Yeah, we have switched. <laughs> we're swingers. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving your life. Um, and <laughs> I'm in your flat. <laughs> there we go. Good. Good I didn't want to tell you that. Breaking through my belongings. Yeah. There we go. Cool. Um, so Can't believe that you still got magazines. <laughs> Let's keep it old school. <laughs> this is all well. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's been very sunny. It has. As is my disposition, which is odd. Yeah, I'm in quite a cheery mood as well. That's good. Let's let's hope that we're reviewing some really good films and not. <laughs> Not miserable ones that will bring us down. <laughs> yes, and how's your how's your lovely daughter doing? She's very well. She's asleep. Very good. And I understand you've been doing some decorating. Yes, I have been sprucing up uh, what used to be called Gill's Pit of Doom. <laughs> or the room of the 90s. Yeah, the room of the 90s no longer looks like it did. Your posters from Smash Hits. Uh, on the wall. I used to have tons of Smash Hits posters on my wall. <laughs> Ned's Atomic Dustbin records just uh, yeah. falling from the shelves. And Paul Woods itself records and T-shirts just strewn all over the place. There we go. Oh, heaven. <laughs> ah. What about you? Yes. And now, you, now you've got a child that produces crap rather than uh, <laughs> lots of bands. Oh. Speaking of which, <laughs> I see Bob Dylan's got a new album out. <laughs> Have you bought it? I haven't bought it yet. No, it's. Uh... Have you streamed it? <laughs> I haven't yet streamed it. Another another twelve uh, covers of fifty uh, standards. Uh, Is it? Oh, uh-huh. yeah. At least he's realised he can't write. No high on my list of priorities at the moment. It probably wasn't high on his list either. Well, it doesn't look like. <laughs> yeah, it certainly doesn't look like it. Um, <laughs> so, ah oh, well, whatever. Um, but yeah, and you, you know, you used to do well, you got a free CD every time you bought a record by Bob Dylan, but I've discovered that uh, this edition they've decided to stop doing that, and they give you a silly wee download card now. 
Right. Which is annoying. I hate it when people do that download card thing. Why? I, I bought a cassette and it came with this download card. And then you can actually listen to it. <laughs> yeah, then you can. Also, it's if you buy it on vinyl, uh-huh. you used to get it, get the CD as well. Yes. Not if you bought a Bob Dylan record, you got to pick another CD. <laughs> You've obviously... Here's what you should have bought. <laughs> yes. Or are you sure that it's not if you buy a CD, you get like one of the leftover Bob Dylan CDs just slung in your bag? <laughs> Here's the basement tapes for you. The last time they did, um, the last time he released an album that was uh, Shadows in the Night, and that was again uh, the the covers of the standards and the publicity. Um, the publicity machine decided in their infinite wisdom that the best thing to do was to give a free CD to every co- every with every copy of some magazine specifically for elders. Um, so very much <laughs> recognizing the audience. Yeah, it was it was hitting. But yeah, there we go. I'm just glad he's alive. I'm just glad he's alive, man, and doing doing work. <laughs> it's good news. How many Bob Dylan CDs would you say, would you say you have? Not not like just albums, but like the ones that are triple and quadruple. Are you trying to trip trip me up here with some some shenanigans? No, I'm just wondering, like, how many actual compact discs you you own that that have like Bob Dylan playing all the same songs <laughs> all across them. Probably, I've probably got sixty-five uh, CDs, and then vast majority, probably nineteen or twenty uh, records as well. And then, like the box sets, the ultimate box sets. Oh, here, here he is doing subterranean homesick blues yes. in a very standard way. Doesn't it sound awful? <laughs> Have you heard not... that one? I think that is on the basement tapes. Oh, uh, dear. It, is like... it doesn't quite measure up to the poppies, but... Uh... Hey, nobody measures <laughs> up to the poppies. <laughs> Oh dear! So there we go. So you think he's had a really interesting career, but he didn't change genre on every single album like they did. There we go. To the point where, like, if you if you missed a lost episode, then you wouldn't know what was happening. <laughs> but if you if you skipped a Poppy's album, that's a callback like, really? to something that doesn't exist. I think that's a callback to something we'll see in the future. Let's try and work it in. Let's know it. Um, <laughs> let's... Are we trying to manufacture an argument so that we can uh, disguise the fact that we're re-recording this segment? Yeah, let's thumb in the conversation. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. So because uh, I've got okay. plenty of baby oil, so we'll be all right. Have you seen any exciting? Movies in the last week while I have. You have. Oh, that's good. What have you yeah. seen? It's been good. Uh, I've seen Batman versus Superman, but I already told you that on the previous episode. <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen the X Men Apocalypse. The X Men Apocalypse. And you also saw Civil War. Or did we talk about that in the last one? No, that that's also another recent movie. What I saw. 
So, should we maybe speak about both of those films first then? And see what I mean? Just, um, Oakley Doakley? Yeah, so what, what did you think of Civil War? wasn't what I was expecting. I, okay. I thought it was going to be about the actual Civil War. <laughs> Dearest Martha. <laughs> no, that's Batman vs Superman. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Don't let Martha die. My wife is also named Martha. <laughs> why do you know that name? And that's why the Civil War ended. Because people in North and South both had wives named Martha. Yeah. There we go. So, um, I, I just think that they missed a fantastic opportunity in Batman vs Superman to have the two of them standing there for five minutes going, your mum. No, your mum. Are they actually brothels? Is that what they're trying to kind of get at? No. Just... <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> right. Come on, Galileo. Let's hear it. <laughs> Civil War. Civil War. I, I, I really enjoyed it, even though it's, it's a wee bit overpacked, but that's it. they've handled it better this time than Age of Ultron. Okay. Which Over- suffered from the same sort of problem that overpacked? How do you mean? Well, just so many characters and different storylines flying about all over the place, but they managed to keep it focused. Uh-huh. Unlike uh Batman versus Superman, where they've got loads of characters. Uh-huh. Some of them who only appear for a couple of seconds, but to justify having them appear for a couple of seconds, there's a whole extra subplot that involves Wonder Woman and everything. Ah, right, okay. And see that scene in the trailer where it's Batman, Wonder Woman and Superman all standing in a row. Yeah, absolutely. And it's Uh like, uh, is she with you? I thought, and then Batman says, I thought she was with you. See, like, two scenes earlier, Batman fucking emailed her. Oh. <laughs> Going like, here's this stuff. Right. Okay. Like, he knows exactly... He's he's found out about her. Mm-hmm. They've had conversations. They've met quite a few times. And then he's going, I thought she was with you. Like, oh, Batman is getting right? older, isn't he? You're actually introducing Batman as well into the film, which is uh-huh. another thing that's important to remember, is that... This is in in essence a new character, um, and so you've also got you've got Batman, you've got um, Wonder Woman. You mentioned the Flash also makes cameo in this. The Flash and mm-hmm. Cyborg and Aquaman. That's ridiculous. Come on. But that's just the it's a whole subplot where Lex Luthor's been investigating metahumans. Right. So he's got a file, and Bruce Wayne just happens to be investigating Lex Luthor. Uh-huh. So he steals all Lex Luthor's files and then finds this file. Mm-hmm. But uh, Wonder Woman steals it first as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a, an entertaining enough film to watch, but they... They are introducing a new Batman, sure. and he does kill. Right, he, okay. He does use guns uh-huh. in this, which I've got no problem with. Because uh-huh. they even do manage to justify that by... Like, he's really paranoid about Superman. Right, okay. And uh-huh. that is his 
been a justification for her. We should be a bit tougher. Mm-hmm. But ironically, all the way through this film, he would probably at the start of the film have teamed up with Lex Luthor. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh, because they've got the same aim, ultimately. Yeah. Um, so they missed a trick there. They could have had Batman and Lex Luthor mm-hmm. versus Superman. But they're so busy setting up the whole Justice League thing that they've gone, well, how can we fit everybody else in? Yeah, I kind of brought brings to mind um, a comic book by Mark Wade from a few years back. Um, I don't know if I ever showed you it, Gil, but it might be worth looking at if you ever get a chance. Mm. Um, two linked comic books, uh, one called uh, Irredeemable, which is about a superhero, a Superman level um, superhero who goes crazy, and mm-hmm. with that power, then comes great responsibility. Decides to, with that power, decides to you know try and rule the world and not you know be a a, a force for evil. And the flip side of that was a book called uh, Incorruptible, which is about a villain, um, kind of. Joker level villain who decides, yeah, or decide on that on the basis of that threat to turn, uh, to turn to the side of good, and the two two storylines intertwine over over the course. I think thirty odd issues. Cool, I need to check that out. Yeah, it was really good. And Mark Mark Wade certainly wrote uh, Irredeemable and created the characters, but I don't know if he wrote all of Incorruptible. But very good on uh, Boom Comics. Um, so yeah, man. Uh, that, so Civil War. But yeah, back so, to Civil War. Yeah, yeah, no, really. <laughs> so I mean, for me, I I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think uh, it was very good in terms of keep me entertained. Two and a half hours for a superhero movie is still obscene, um, and still, I would say too much um, for for you know what you're looking for. You're basically looking for a, a film to entertain children, <laughs> realistically. Um, what are we now? I, I know one what, but we we probably should be. Um, I mean, even Star Wars is over two hours. Yeah, and I I just think it's a lot. It could be cut down. I'm just not the biggest fan of this move towards very very long films that require half your day to actually watch. <laughs> um, so, whereas I own the Lord of the Rings extended cut box sets. Lord of the Rings is a different deal. Lord of the Rings is a a different thing altogether. You're trying to achieve something monumental over the course of 12 hours, which is, I think, fair dues. I think with this, you're kind of, you know, it's basically a kid's film. So why are we why are we going to the, you know, why are we having these two and a half hour epics? It's not bloody... Uh, I, I think it's paced well enough. Yeah, it was... It was this paced. one, I mean, it doesn't have the Jurassic World effect uh-huh. where kids start sitting about and getting bored and fidgeting and just losing interest in the film. I think the the pacing for this was pretty well done. Oh, yeah, it's very good. And I, I, I liked, for example, the way that he handled the introduction of, you know, the two two main characters who were introduced. Um, so uh, Black Panther and uh, Spider-Man. Yep. Um, and also uh, Aunt May. Um I, I really like the way that they, they... <laughs> Tony Stark wants to shag at me. I like the way that they avoided all of the kind of obvious 
um, the obvious stuff with Spider Man and kept getting quite close to the wind um, yeah. with with that. Um, and I thought that was great, just like kind of going very close to getting him to say his catchphrase that he's uttered about a squillion times <laughs> um, and then just diverting from it and you know, expect setting up the origin story and then diverting from it. And um, I thought the the kid was really really good, and um, he and Robert Downey Jr. Um, worked together really really well. Um, yeah. So so I really really enjoyed that. Um, and in terms of the way that the Black Panther uh, was introduced as well, it was like zero fat. I, I really dug that and how how well that was that was handled. It was like. This is the prince of uh, Wakanda. This is his dad. His dad, you know, and then it gets set up quite straightforward. This yep. is his duty. This is his responsibility. You get a really good feeling for the character within five minutes, ten minutes, which is absolutely ideal. And um, you the know, passing where... of the ring is done with absolutely no fannying about as well. But. Uh, Everything with that was just very, very well done, and because uh, they'll pick all that up when he gets his own film. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I like the fact that they managed to well, hopefully introduce two characters that they they kind of went let's not try and shoehorn in Genesis stories for them. Uh-huh. But I hope, that, I hope they don't. I genuinely hope that they don't do that with the Spider-Man film. I think we've seen it enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even with the Black Panther film, if if we are getting something like, if we were getting a Black Widow movie, the chances are it probably wouldn't be Black Widow Origins. It would be a mission. So yep. I think it would be great if if you had uh, Black Panther, um, you know, protecting, um, you know, protecting Wakanda or protecting a particular, uh, a particular element or whatever it would be, just a mission. Um, and then you could go to Atlantis. There's loads of things you could do with it. Um, Atlantis is in the MCU. Yeah, yeah, and so the Submariner and all that kind of thing. And but it's, actu- it's actually on one of the the walls. I can't remember what film it's in. There's a huh. a map of places of interest. Uh huh. And uh, Wakanda was one of them, mm-hmm. but also so was Atlantis, and they've never, they haven't really touched upon that, but. At least that shows that they're kind of going. Let's do an underwater movie. See, see the thing that I said. Uh, I reckoned that Thor was going to bomb, and I thought that was going to be the the end of the Marvel movies because I thought there's no way that you can make Thor an interesting character and that you can make it believable. Um, but in reality, they've they've handled Thor very well. So who's to say that they wouldn't be able to handle a you know a, a Namor um, storyline? Yeah, you know they they might very well, and you you know you never know. Um, I just I think don't think they'll do a Hawkeye film. No, there's a, there's a wealth of characters that they could actually they could actually draw in, and Mark Mark and Bugbear, the one that I always think is would be a really good shout, would be the Runaways, um, just because it's a far more diverse group than you know than than your Avengers. Um, it's kind of and they could sing Cherry Bomb. But yeah, anyway, yes. So there is a film where they call that, but you know what I mean. It would be yeah. it'd be really good to have that. Um, you know, the, the kids, the the, the the kind of premise of Runaways is this group of kids discover that their uh, parents are essentially the masters of evil. They're not the masters of evil, but they're a group of supervillains. Um, so they themselves, um, 
decide to uh, get rid of throw off their shackles and uh, run away uh, together um, and it's tremendous fun I've um, never read any runaways very good very good stuff man um, I could give you a couple of one of um, cool as I say yeah but yeah there, there's loads of opportunities within the, the MCU and I think you know I think they're doing well um, but again the, the kind of the, the whitewashing issue with uh, Tilda Swinton's another kind of uh, slightly yeah. concerning uh, feet. I don't know how you feel about that. You see that? Well, Marvel are using this excuse that this version of the character is Celtic. Uh huh. So, yeah. Okay. What's the What's the name of those other Asian characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Uh, the Hand. No, I just mean, mean like in in general, they're, they're not really apart from the the hand. Uh-huh. They haven't really had any Asian characters at all, have they? Yeah, not so far. I don't think in terms of cinematic stuff, no. But I think it is strange that they've cast Tilda Swinton because wouldn't you maybe have gone for like Chow Yun Fat or something? Mm. Okay. Aha. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Um... Right, if you're going to go to Tibet, <laughs> just yeah, see your mistake. Exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, so... She I, might be very good. Civil War, um, I really enjoyed it. I loved the central character, although for quite different reasons. Um, I, I, it wasn't in this, the, the central uh, villain, rather. as a character that I've liked for a, a very long time. Um, but Are you going to tell people who that is? or Is it worth saying, or is it a bit of a spoiler? Well, is it much of a spoiler though? Because it's I mean, not really. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not really. Yeah, it's, touched upon. It's it's supposed to be Baron Zemo, um, but he's, minus his kind of cloth. Yeah, and minus any, you know, it doesn't. It, the, the 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 background doesn't tie up particularly closely with anything that's that's happened, um, in the comics, but. The, there might be turns and there might be twists and turns with it and I, I could see it's a property that I think they, they could really be doing with um, utilising as, as, as Zemo and the Thunderbolts and obviously um, Zemo wasn't necessarily with the Thunderbolts particularly long but that's the classic lineup and that's the one that everyone remembers and I think it'd be good to do something like that um, but what they are going to do is in the next film it's going to turn out that he's actually an actor called Trevor Slattery <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that was so good. But then uh, I don't know if you ever saw the the one shot that they did what was about that? Trevor Slattery afterwards. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the name of that? I can't remember. Well, they, Some, we had, something... we the actual Mandarin discovered them and and yeah. they are right. Aha, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So people were pissed off about that, but then Marvel went here's a ten minute shot that says. The Mandarin's still out there. Oh. We haven't just wasted that character. I don't know. I, I was excited. Do you know? I'd have been even happier if it had been a, a double bluff because I really liked that. Um, I, I liked the idea of it, and also kind of liked the, the 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 idea that perhaps it was a double bluff in, as well, and that Trevor Slattery was in fact this. 
<laughs> this uh, Omega level villain. Um, but yeah, I thought it was great. Very good fun. Um, I know that we, we kind of slag Iron Man 3 every now and then because of the crazy CGI, but um, yeah. you, can't, you, can't, you can't beat that. The um, army of robots that yeah, he says he's going to get rid of at the end of it. Army then, of pointlessness. Yeah, and then in Age of Ultron, he has a bigger army of pointless robots. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, moving swiftly on, we also saw X-Men Apocalypse. Um, yep. Or as you called it, <laughs> X-Men Age of Apocalypse. I keep calling it that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so... X-Men Half Hour of Apocalypse. What were your thoughts, Kel? Because I suspect we will differ on this one. Uh, I did enjoy it, but... <laughs> That's what pretty much every review has been. <laughs> See, to be honest, if you're... If you're going to introduce a character who has the powers of a god mm-hmm. then maybe use them properly okay and don't get rid of them by the end of the film uh-huh. don't don't defeat god in his first appearance because that and don't make him five foot seven and have him standing next to other people who are not tall. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Poe Dameron. Yeah. That is... Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, I, I like Oscar, Oscar Isaacs. Uh-huh. He's, I think he's a really good actor, but... I mean, in this film, he's just not really used. I mean, he, he appeals in it enough, but they're just not doing anything with it and they have like a massive worldwide event that I think one of the problems they got with Great Big oh, yeah, Seat Guy films that, they go, that didn't go anywhere yeah. it's true the, the worldwide they, event thing yeah they, they show you like bridges and I think it's meant to be New York or something like the Brooklyn oh, Bridge getting yeah, yeah. torn apart and all this and like whole cities getting decimated, like just turning into dust and it means nothing. And it it's just so it's it more of the same matter. really. It's more of the same. By the end of the film you've got bad guys going, Well, oh, this is quite a nice house you've got here, Xavier, and I'll stay. Yeah. I think the the weight the weight issue was an important one. I think that was the the main issue that I had with it. Was that the destruction of whole cities and the decimation of whole populations was not given any weight. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yay, but we won at the end, so that's okay. Um, <laughs> when, in fact, you know, there there should be, we should be considering that there are real new threats and, you know, real... But maybe um, the X-Men don't care. Because was, that was just humans that died. So that wasn't... <laughs> that wasn't their people. So they're actually they're they're fighting the Magnetos uh, Magnetos side. Um I thought it could have been it should have been longer. Oh, for goodness sake. No, I, I Can't think that they well, either that or it should Are have been add Annie uh, Anna Parkin into it and uh oh, that'll be the director's cut. <laughs> what was it? That was was that Days of Future Past? The rope cut, yeah. Rope cut where it's yeah. So it's like I'm here's that here. character that you don't care about anymore. 
I'm sitting complaining about um, the fact that the films are too long, and yeah, I'm exactly the person that goes out and buys the buys the rogue cut. Why? Why did I go out and buy it? I mean, it is like an extra fifteen minutes of nothing. Isn't no, it? Have you seen the the rogue cut? I've I've seen the rogue cut, and there is not much to it in terms of. Yeah. There's an additional storyline in, in, involving rogue, um, where. Uh, as it Charles and uh, Magneto have to try and save her from what I remember, and so I've seen the the full thing. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't remember. I yeah, watched it, and by the end of it, I was surprised. Yeah, there's an extra couple of scenes. There's a scene with uh, Beast and Mystique that's pretty good, and that kind of set up some stuff in the new film. Mm-hmm. Um, so those kind of undertones that were in the most recent film. I kind of played out Rat Large and uh, the the Road Cut version, um, and that was that wasn't in the, the the cinematic version of that. Apart from that, it's not really that much more. There's 15 minutes of stuff, but it's nothing particularly major. I don't think. No, it no. wasn't really worth bringing it out as like its own. Like giving it its own title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Yeah, it's, it's an excellent <laughs> film, though. Is that Days of Future Past is my favourite so far, and to be fair, I really enjoyed Apocalypse as much as it was. Um, as much as there's lots to lots to dislike about it, and I think if you look at the reviews, a lot of them are actually quite fair in terms of the criticisms that they make against the film. But nevertheless, I've actually found it very entertaining. Um, I think. The thing that I liked most about it was just how, and this is sorry, just how X Men it was, you know, and how, um, mm. you know, how archetypically X Men it was, and you know the the kind of the, the ideas of teamwork, the kids as um, you know growing up together, those elements, the outsider elements, what's the different kind of stuff that we have come to expect from the X Men? Um, I found it entertaining in the same way that, that Civil War and Age of Ultron is entertaining um, and I've, I can't really say that other other X-Men films have, have achieved that to the mm-hmm. same extent, I don't think they have um, as much well, as I enjoy the other ones, I don't think the other ones have achieved the same level of entertainment it's, it's definitely not as good a movie as, as um, Days of Future Past yeah. it's a better film than First Class but not necessarily from a technical or writing standpoint, it's a better film in the sense that purely from my, my perspective as a, as someone who likes the X-Men, there's a lot more X-Men stuff in it <laughs> um, which is a pretty lame excuse but uh, for that reason I, I, I really enjoyed it and I really enjoyed the, the, the little uh, the little um, cameo as well yeah <laughs> although that cameo uh-huh. I, I just thought it was, it was one of those things where, as soon as it happens, you go, "Oh, this could mean that the rest of the film's a bit more interesting." <laughs> and then two and minutes later, you go, <laughs> "There he just, goes. He's just Bruce Banner yep. <laughs> into the wilderness." <laughs> yes, there we go. And then there's the post-credit scene that they're using. Yeah, again, like the post-credit scene 
from uh, Days of Future Past. Mm -hmm. We used that to set up, set up Apocalypse. Yep. And this one, they're using it to, yet again, set up Wolverine. The, the Wolverine movie. The, and, the uh, and, Wolverine. and Gambit as well. Oh, really? Yep. Is it Alpha Flight or what, what is it they're doing? It's Mr. Sinister. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, it's oh. Essex, Essex Corporation, so ah. it's Nathaniel Essex. Ah, very cool. Who apparently will have something to do with the next couple of films. There we go. I'm sure you've answered. But there you go, next, next couple of films. That's what they should have done with Apocalypse. Is mm -hmm. Apocalypse is the sort of thing where it should be... Don't give away the, the X-Men. Just given away the ending completely. I haven't given away the ending. And the sting. Not really. Because I'm, all I've said is the Essex Corporation gets mentioned. Uh-huh. Okay. You know, I haven't said who by or okay. where or anything. You know, okay. I, I haven't given that away, but I just thought the Apocalypse should have been two movies like hmm. the Infinity War is going to be. Because what is the point in bringing in such an incredibly powerful character for one movie? Sure. Okay, guys. Um, so, Like Ultron? Do definitely check out um, Apocalypse, uh, X-Men Apocalypse. Uh, uh, I do recommend it. And... And Civil War. And Civil War. But I think if you've if you've not seen that, you're not going to see it. Come on. I think you should see it. Come on now. I would see it. Okay. So we'll have a short break there. And this week we're going to be discussing three films on the theme of families <laughs> or mothers. Mothers. Or mothers. Oh, God. Um, right. So uh, the three films that we're going to be discussing are The Visit, Emily... <laughs> Emily what yeah. are you laughing at? You... Oh, the visit. The visit. Let's <laughs> let's revisit that review. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Emily and another film that I like to call <laughs> Good Night Mommy. That was stolen for time there. I don't know if you noticed. Yeah. Um, don't worry, it was so professionally done that nobody else. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Um, so... Yes, uh, so we'll be back to discuss the was in just a moment. Um, so we'll be back <laughs> after this. Looking for something different in your podcast library? Then why not check out the podcast Under the Stairs? I'm the host Duncan McLeish and joining me each week will be a special guest as we examine some classic old school horror favourites as well as some modern classics. That's not to say that we don't tackle some of the, let's say, more questionable entries into the horror genre. And if all that wasn't enough, we have a subset of shows called Baz V Horror, where our horror novice, The Baz, tackles horror in all shapes and forms to see who will come out victorious. So what are you waiting for? The show can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com and on Stitcher and iTunes. The podcast Under the Stairs is a proud member of Legion Podcast Network. This is Duncan McLeish from Under the Stairs, signing off. Okay, guys, we're back to discuss Emily. Um, or Emily. <laughs> it's a Swedish uh, spelling um, made awkward by 
various things. Um, so it's a very common name. Yes, yes. Common is the right word. Um, a couple was replaced. <laughs> My daughter is <laughs> going to hit you in the face, probably by mistake. <laughs> okay. A couple's replacement babysitter turns out to be more than they bargained for when she subjects their kids to a series of twisted activities. Um, so it was directed by Michael Thielen. It was written by uh, Richard Raymond Harry Herbeck. He's got more names than <laughs> more names than I have. Um, and stars Sarah Bolger, uh, Carly Adams, and Carl Bailey. Um, so. The film starts off with um, our uh, lead male. Oh, where's all the credits? And then we can get a wee bit more into it ladies and gentlemen. Okay. <laughs> um, so the film starts off with our uh, lead male character, Dan, um, picking up um, picking up the baby. Oh, in fact, there's a, a scene before that that I've... Yeah, there's a scene before that that spoils the entire movie. Because <laughs> there's a scene where there's a young girl walking along the road talking to her friend on the phone, saying, oh, I'm not going to be able to go to that party tonight because I'm babysitting. And then a car asks her for directions to the post office. And while well, she's saying, oh, I'm not very good at directions, Somebody else walks up behind her, and he starts giving directions as well. And then just, just yeah, she's kid kidnaps her into the yeah, car. Yeah, well, she's uh, turned point, and she gets chloroformed and shoved in the back of you. After they've said, "Are you Anna?" Yep. and then the husband goes to pick up Anna, the babysitter. Yep. So you're like, "Well, that can't be Anna." Mm-hmm. I bet this babysitter's not Anna. <laughs> <laughs> It's a film that spoils it itself. It does spoil itself a little bit at the start. Um, so uh, the character Dan, uh, husband, drives uh, drives the character who who we know as Anna uh, to the the home, and she gets introduced to the kids, and she seems really nice. And um, basically, the you know, the husband and wife go away for go out to dinner, they're celebrating, I think it's an anniversary. Um and Yeah. What was that, Gil? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Affirmative. Um and basically as as things progress, she clearly starts to very subtly undermine the parents' authority. So it starts off with little things like, for example, um she encourages the kids to, um, rather than playing with their own, uh, with their own costumes, she encourages them to be imaginative and and you know be whatever they want to be. Um, so yeah. that's straight away becomes a quite a you know quite strange scenario, and so there's, there's and then paint on the wall. So as we well. get two two uh, two younger kids um, and one older kid. Um, so there's a. Uh, a little girl, um, Sandy. A little girl, is it Sandy, um, or Sally? I'm not sure. Maybe Sally. Yeah, and uh, another a little boy called Christopher, and then there's also a kind of slightly older middle child, um, a slightly older child. I don't remember what his name was. Jacob. Jacob. That's right. 
So these uh, these three kids, um, Jacob's obviously kind of pubescent, prepubescent teen. He's kind of got a bit of an attitude about him. He's disobeying his parents and, you know, his video game's been confiscated. Basically, uh, the babysitter who's, who we are led to believe is Anna um, speaks to him and kind of starts almost flirting with him and talks to him about comics, yeah. saying he's got a cool room and giving him his video game back and, you know, talking about comics that aren't really age-appropriate, things like that. Um, and then she starts getting the other kids to do other things. And once Jacob joins them, she gets him to pose for pictures where he is uh, basically, you know, pretending to... The, the oldest kid is pretending to uh, to um, murder... Like yeah, bludgeon. To, to bludgeon the, the younger kid. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of... From there, they just kind of seem to... She's basically trying to test them out and get them to, to basically dis- disobey their parents and go outside the boundaries, which straight away is kind of raising alarm bells as to what you know what's going to be the content of this and where, where it's exactly going. Um, but in actual fact, she's doing the opposite. How do you mean? Well, she's encouraging the kids to do things that they shouldn't do and to disobey their parents' instructions. But in actual fact, rather than that being what she wants, she's looking for a kid that doesn't. Uh-huh. Because the youngest kid is the more innocent of the three who's who doesn't doesn't actively do anything particularly bad. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it's it was just after I'd watched it I was thinking that that was maybe why she's she's trying to pick one of the three kids, mm-hmm. and the one that she picks is the one that that is more just innocent and just following along. So she's not necessarily interested in making them break the rules. She's looking for a kind of passive acceptance of rules being broken. I, I don't think so. I think she's trying to basically. There's a, a storybook. Um, segment that about halfway through the film that explains what her role was and what she's hoping to do. Before that, she yep. there's this sequence where she shows uh, the kids a video of their mum and dad. Um, you know, so it's you know pretty you know pretty brutal uh, film, and it's obviously having a negative impact on the 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 little girl. And then Jacob comes down and he's really angry about it. Um, to me. You know, the she seems to be putting them through a number of tests, and that's kind of highlighted in the, the the storybook segment. She basically explains in that segment that she had a baby that died, and as a result, she yeah. is trying to find. Basically, she's unable to have kids on her own, but since then, has basically tried to find a kid that she's could be her, hooked up with a that new could guy, Cobby. And this this yeah. new guy is described as. Um, a skinny hyena who whose whose brain is more cracked than she is. Um, yeah, it's someone that she's using to. Own well, ends. I, I, again, I didn't know. I didn't know whether that was the case or not. Um, I I didn't. I wasn't sure at first, mm. but I thought that after 
and there's a scene where he drives into the parents' yeah, car. Yeah, sure, sure. And you know, it's it's made quite clear that he's probably not getting out uh-huh. of that too sure. well. Um, but basically, the the idea that what she when she's reading through the storybook, she's saying that she needs to find a child to be her cubby and to be her own kid. But it couldn't just be any child; yep. it would need to be one that could truly be hers. Um, and and from that, there's there's an implication that she's looking for certain character traits that are similar to her own uh, from the child, and so the 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 kind of things that she's she gets them to do, and the one that the, the little boy Christopher, he um you know takes takes the uh, takes his sister's hamster and feeds it to a snake, um you know uh, he watches the you know the video and laughs along with it. She uh, he tries to she tries to uh, they, they, she gives him a gun to play with, and he's the one who who pulls the trigger. He's the one who actually pulls the trigger while aiming at her. So these are yes, yeah. That's why I thought she was looking for that naivety. I, I don't, yeah, like maybe, he, maybe. Like he wasn't watching the video as being this is a video of my parents having sex, and he hadn't a- attached any any meaning to it. Deep meaning yeah. to the hamster either, because you know he parroted back later on in the film. Pythons prefer live prey. Mm-hmm. So that was just something that he would have heard on TV anyway. Uh-huh. And it's something that she then showed him in real life. So I thought that, that she was looking for somebody that... That she could mold. Even though, kind of thing. Like, like the other kids, she was pushing mm-hmm. them to the point where they start to reject mm-hmm. what she's doing. Like the little girl gets very uneasy because she's put on a, a video of her parents doing yeah, something yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That she clearly knows she shouldn't be yeah. watching. But I mean, the, the and with Jacob, it's she's trying to push him a little bit sure. further. But uh-huh. but I mean, like when when he, when uh, Christopher pulls the trigger, she goes, you know, I knew you were the one. I knew you were the one, and it just kind of to me suggested that she was testing. But either way, either you know, whether it's that it's someone who's who's malleable that she can uh, mold in her own image. Or whether it's yeah. someone who she perceives as having similar character traits to herself. Either way, that's what's at the heart of it, is that she's trying to kidnap one of the kids um, and trying to get away uh, with it. Although, in fairness, the one of the kind of biggest flaws in this, I think, is that they've really, you know, she had the opportunity to get away on an, a number of occasions. Um, she could have probably just yeah. done that. Um I don't want to sound mean, but she could really have just killed the other two yeah, kids. Absolutely. Um I think that's a made well because as much as this film spoils itself right at the start, mm-hmm. when it got to her backstory, mm-hmm. I don't know if it is because I, I hang about with a mm-hmm. baby yeah, quite yeah, a lot yeah. of the time now, but I found her backstory kind of I was Watching that, just feeling uneasy, which films don't tend to make yeah, yeah. me feel. But just, but then, also, it doesn't demonize her sure. in that. It is like she explains in like through a, a kind of kids storybook that she has made mm-hmm. herself that she got pregnant, but that the father wasn't going to be mm-hmm. about. So she worked as hard as she could to put food on the table and she fell asleep 
on the couch with yep. the baby. It's not. It's something that that does happen yeah, to people sometimes, and the thing that really changed her life was being in a really intense kind of single mother. I I thought that worked really well yeah. for it, and then just other bits of this film then just kind of messed all that up. It's almost a good film. Yeah, that is. But not and I felt quite. very entertained. But, uh, the it. guy that wrote it did work on Lost. Oh, there we go. I felt thoroughly entertained he all did. the way through it. Who, who, was it a writer of Lost? Or? Uh, no, Richard Raymond, Harry, uh, what's his face? Uh-huh. Herbeck. Is listed as mis- miscellaneous crew. He was a writer's assistant hmm. on Alphas. He was Drew Goddard's assistant on The Cabin oh, in the wow. Woods. He was a production assistant on Cloverfield, and he was a writer's assistant on 35 episodes of Lost. Excellent, excellent shows. That's that's great. <laughs> that's but then Lost spoiled itself at the start as well, didn't it? <laughs> How did it? They're, They're not all dead. dead. <laughs> They're not God coming back. It. They're not coming back. They might as well be What are you dead. talking about? Everybody in Lost. Not everybody in Lost is on the island. <laughs> See, this is this is it. This is the this is the epitome of why I hate people criticizing Lost. Is because they don't even know the first thing about the series. I watched the episodes right, and was just so, repeatedly so bored. You're telling me that there's people that weren't on the island then. No, you just said that. No, you're tell so were, was everyone on the island? Did everyone die on the island? Everybody had links to the people on the island. Right, okay. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, you've seen the first, third and last episode like everybody else. <laughs> uh, I watched yeah, all yeah, of it. Literally only, all of it. Only I missed it one once, episode though. and I was thoroughly confused. That's how good a series <laughs> it is. So shut up. That is not a sign of quality. <laughs> That's a sign of lack of continuity. If you watch an episode, I have no idea what's going on with anyone now. <laughs> then you watch the episode that you missed, and it is just people go, oh my god, this is unsafe here. This is unsafe here too. Quick, we'd better all scarper through the fucking woods. Okay. Let's all go and get lost. Let's go and find a tree that's got a skeleton hanging in an aeroplane. Wow. Let's sit in a bunker and press That's some a legit series one knowledge you're dropping there, my friend. I'm really imp- impressed. <laughs> um, right, okay. So, uh, let's go and find a cabin in the okay. woods. So, yes, I, I think Emily, I was thoroughly impressed and thoroughly enjoyed Emily. There were there were problems with it, and um, I think the the main thing that I you know, disliked about it was I expected some degree of payoff. Um, or some yeah. amount of, you know, something that was there that maybe, you know, something a bit less surface as to why this family had been picked, how they managed to find out that Anna was, be, was uh, you know, doing this babysitting uh, shift, um, you know. But above that, it would just be nice to have a conclusion to one of the storylines. <laughs> there isn't a conclusion no, to any of no, them. No, that's true. 
That's true. Um, and I mean, particularly, the one thing I wondered was, was the skinny man dead? Well, that's what I thought. I mean, I thought it looked like he was lying on the ground. His, his eyes do uh-huh. open. Yeah, I just wasn't but sure if that was him I... or not. Um, but... Well, it, I'm pretty sure that it uh-huh. was him. But, but then seeing the way that he showed you him coming out of the car and the accident and then the way he was mm-hmm. lying there, even when his eyes opened, I just thought, mm-hmm. nah, he, he's screwed. <laughs> Look at him. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, re- I've, I really enjoyed this one. I think it's, uh, you know, very good and very enjoyable. Um, lovely synth- synthesizer soundtrack also. Um, that's very, yeah. very slick. Um, what did it remind me of? Um, what's the sinister Poison Ivy? Reminded me of that a wee bit. Um, remember Poison Ivy? I think it's Drew Barrymore. Yep. Um, kind of similar... Uh, and Tom Skerritt. Yeah, yeah, good film. So, and uh, her from Roseanne. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Dar- yeah. yeah. A- Darla. Was it Darla? Yeah. You think of Daria? Daria. Yeah. This <laughs> is the TV cartoon. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Darlene. Darlene. Here we go. Okay, guys, we shall have a short break there, um, and then we will return to discuss the film that is called. Good night, mommy. Indeed. Or good night, mommy. And um, we'll uh, be back after this. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favourite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favourite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. Okay, guys, and we're back to discuss Goodnight Mommy, or Goodnight Mummy, um, from 2014. Um, it was directed by Severin Fiala and Veronica Franz, um, and it was written by the same uh, stars, uh, Lucas Schwartz and Elias Schwartz, uh, two twin brothers, um, and Suzanne Vest as Muta, um, Hans Escher as a Priest, and then what's other people? Um, people from the Red Cross and stuff. So I, th- I don't think we need the uh, pizza delivery boys uh, listed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. What's the people that are hardly on screen and are not very memorable? Yes. So. This film. Uh, let's see. Where's the wee synopsis for you? Twin boys move to a new home with their mother after she has face changing cosmetic surgery. But under her bandages is someone the children do not recognise. Ooh. Yes. So, Gil... I was just making it a gothic horror. Could you tell me exactly how far into the film it was before you guessed the ending? Uh, I think it was probably about 30 seconds. <laughs> it really was in the... Very poor. 
like very very yeah. poor um as as much as I was like, like oh he's not invited to the party is he <laughs> <laughs> why is it that every time the mother talks to these two boys she only speaks to she one only of speaks them. to one of them oh. she only accepts responses from one of them and she tells him to stop talking to his brother and at one point beats him whilst completely ignoring the other boy the whole time. Mm-hmm. So this, um, essentially... This... It's, a, it's a film about one brother who's invisible. <laughs> this... <laughs> he persuades his other brother to do horrible things. This, this film um, uh, and, and the trailers has kind of been sold on the... Um, on the, the mother's image and uh, her bandaged face and how creepy she looks and how you know you've got, uh, <laughs> for about twenty minutes yeah uh huh um and you know and the the central mystery that's set up in the the film is kind of hard to ignore how obvious the ending is um. And I really, really hope that they were going to turn that around and that they were going to do something different with it. Um, but they really didn't. And, you know, this is this film has won multiple awards and, um, you know, it's clearly a very, very well-made film. But to to be honest, the, the this kind of took it out, took me out of it considerably. Um, you know, it was a, you know yeah. obviously there's there's no part of this film that you could, you can say looks you know it looks absolutely stunning, um kind of nice uh, funny games vibe at times. Um, it has got really nice cinematography. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's like beautiful location, yeah. beautiful. Um, you know, it's kind of like Ex Machina. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of minimalist sort oh. of way where it is just one really nice looking. I suppose. The insinuation is that it's quite a modern house, uh-huh. but then the way this film is done, it almost they could have made it a period gothic it's horror. A gothic horror, essentially, is what yeah. it is as much as this this modernist house, um, and to that. So end, you never see the modern side of the house. That's the no sure thing, though. I mean, there's all this insinuation of things being taken away, sure, but you never actually see. What they've lost, uh-huh. <laughs> if you know. What I mean. But also, the film starts with the mother coming back from hospital. Mm-hmm. But who was looking after the kids? That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Um... Like, like even though one of them is dead mm-hmm. the whole time, <laughs> <laughs> that still means somebody left one kid. That is really. If you see this film, you'll realise that that is not a spoiler. It's, given it's, given that the fact that there's clearly the the first sequence before the thing kicks off before the the beginning uh, credits even appear before the title of the film even appears, um, you get a sequence where one brother is speaking to the other and it looks as if they've drowned. So straight away your your brain is going to, oh, so one of them's dead then, right? <laughs> Um, and, then, and the mother only talks to one of them. And mother only speaks to one of them. And they do, on occasion, try to try to, to reel you back in with a couple of little lines where, for example, she makes a comment about, um, you know, where, where uh, one of them makes a comment, you know, you should apologise to mum and maybe things will be better if you if you do that. Um, 
And then he's like, no, I'm not apologising to her. Um, but yeah, there's... Could that be his own subconscious? Perhaps, yeah, <laughs> perhaps. But, uh, uh, you know, that it, it's difficult to kind of move past that. Um, nonetheless, I mean, the kind of themes that come out of it are quite, you know, quite good um, and quite interesting because particularly the kind of parent-child relationship and the, the, the relationship that the mother has with these two kids in the sense, or rather with, well, while, she, while, while they, they, they had the, you know, with, with both kids, but ostensibly with Elias, who's the kid who obviously isn't dead. Um, and <laughs> he, it's, it's blindingly so, obvious. Oh. It's so obvious that he might as well be credited as that. <laughs> they should just let you have a circle around about the dead one. Um, they could have renamed the film a boy playing with himself. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so... That is what you get for extended periods of this film, essentially, though. Yeah, and... Once you've realised one of these kids is clearly dead, mm-hmm. then you start watching the film going, well, if that kid's not dead, how do you lift that box? Mm-hmm. How do you hack down that spanner? yeah. yeah. Surely that, and then when it gets to the end of the film, and you go, "Oh, so yeah, he was dead the whole time." Like, well, then how how did he move that box? And I was hands him that spanner. You know, some other themes that kind of came out over the the midway through that made me think that things were going to be going in a different direction. I felt it was so obviously signposted that there was no way they could possibly go with that ending. Um, yeah. So, for example, they they brought in a story of the mother potentially having a twin. Um, so that was, you know, that that mystery was kind of added, and you're thinking, right, she's back from cosmetic surgery. Has perhaps um, the, the, the twin the, has taken over? Yeah, has the, the has this gone. this friend who she talks about has the friend potentially had cosmetic surgery to to look more like um, their mother? But really, none of these things are particularly developed. But the the interesting thing that it does about the, the the relationship between the mother and the children is it kind of she she has been quite cruel with them in some respects, and they get the chance to to turn that cruelty back on her. Yeah, and or one of them, the non dead one, gets yeah, the chance so... to to turn that back on uh, on her in quite an interesting way. Well. It would be interesting if one of them wasn't dead, and <laughs> the kind of extended torture. Scenes, I would say that the, the extended torture scenes will not mark up a tea. Um, like super gluing his mum's yeah, yeah, yeah together. But that's the elements. That's I, all him. Yeah, the elements that I was thinking about were more like when when you know she has very clearly forced him to stand in front of a camera and you know be repeatedly repeatedly respond. Uh, yeah. You are my mother. You are my mother. You are my mother. My brother. Uh, I will not play with my brother. I will not play with my brother. And the the as things go on, we kind of discover that she, that she has been going along with, um, you know this this game. Yeah. She's, two he's two had... sets of clothes and uh-huh. breakfast for two and dinner for two. Yeah. But the question that I would kind of raise with it, and the, exactly the timeline of all of this, because. We has has the mother actually had cosmetic surgery? Has that been to remove the mole, or was that the result of the accident? Has the brother mm. did the brother die at the same same time as the 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 accident? Because she mentions 
the divorce and the accident, which yeah. would suggest that. But in terms of the timelines, that to me doesn't really tie up quite so well because you're thinking, well, who was looking after him during that time? Um, you know where. It's a film that just leaves you with the. It leaves you with bad just, questions. It doesn't leave you with like yeah. questions about oh the mystery. Oh, it's maybe a bit ambiguous. It just kind of leaves you with questions about. Yeah, well, that was a bit obvious. But why did uh, why did why didn't they do something more interesting? But from five five minutes in, you really do just have like a continuity error thing that you're constantly watching for. <laughs> and if anything's going to pull you out of a film, then watching and rejoicing every time the film screws up, mm-hmm. that's not a good thing for your film. The thing is, I had really high hopes for this film based on the trailer. I thought it looked like it was going to be a nice, interesting mystery that was going to focus on the identity of this mother. Yes. Uh-huh. And you don't get that at all because that is never, ever resolved. I think if you were watching it with different eyes, you know, I, th- I think we've kind of wa- we've watched it through the eyes of people that have seen this kind of thing done. A lot, mm. um, and maybe we are watching it for the wrong perspective, and you know we'll know we, exactly. my friend, are living in a post old boy world. Yep, and we'll know we'll know exactly <laughs> we'll know exactly helping matters by telling everyone what the ending is. Um, but I, I think to be honest, it, it's just as well to spoil this one because if anybody actually went out and bought it, expecting to see the film that it's advertised as they'll be so disappointed. It's a tremendously popular film in terms of how it's, um, in terms of the awards it's achieved. It's got subtitles though, isn't it? <laughs> Who would win out of Alien and Species? <laughs> That's basically what our podcast has become. <laughs> um, Best foreign language film nominated mm-hmm. for the Academy Awards. Seriously, that's not a large group of films. That's like five films that they pick from. (laughs) (laughs) This is how clumsy films can be to get nominated for an Oscar. I don't think this was a clumsy film. I think it recalls, recalls in terms of tone, it it reminds me a lot of different, you know, very good films that we've seen, um, particularly Stoker. Stoker was great. Stoker had mystery that you watched and you genuinely felt surprised at bits. Uh-huh. But I felt that's the same that kind of expansive uh, view and, and the, the same kind of cinematography. Um, I just felt that the central... And the kids were great. You can't, I mean, the, the, the same thing about uh, Emily, the kids were fantastic in that. Yeah. Um, we didn't really go over that, but like the performances of the the like three kids and Emily were all fantastic, and these two wee boys were really good and particularly yeah. showing the relationship that you know boys have and kind of mucking around and just doing daft stuff and like just all the kind of mad stuff that you do when you're you're a wee boy. Um, and yeah, it's, I, I, but it had that weird bit when she says to them, "Go for a shower," uh-huh. and the two of them are sharing a bath. And they're punching each uh-huh. other in the face. Uh, that's and I, when I was standard. watching that, I, I thought, is that what brothers do? I thought it was really fun. Is that what I missed out on by not having a brother? Yeah. <laughs> is I would be in the bath. 
where I love a bath. But then if I'm having a bath and somebody comes in and punches me in the face. I can make that dream a reality for you, my friend. <laughs> Believe me. Um, Is that what brothers do for you? I don't know. I don't have a brother. Well, I know that, but... I don't know. I don't know. But I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed all those little interactions. I thought they were kind of cool. Um, I like that it looks after a cat as well. Oh, yeah. That was pretty horrible. Yeah. Yeah, but that was... But then, was that him, or was that the mother? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. There we go. I was thinking that was the that was the kid, because I was thinking, oh, the mother must have done this, and I'm like, yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah, essentially, at the end of the film, everything that you've watched is actually what the little kid intended to happen. Uh-huh. Because the only way that he could be happy would be if everybody did what he wanted, <laughs> and the only way everybody would do what he wants is if they're dead. So he kills them. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, I I, I would say this this is a really good film, but it's um it's it's just those it's too way too obvious in terms of the the ending, and we've yeah. unfortunately spoiled it for everyone else now. But sorry, honestly, if you if if you've <laughs> if you've watched two minutes of this and you've no guessed the ending, then I don't know what to tell you. Um. Okay, so yeah, I recommend it, but you know, when it comes on, Netflix, when it comes on Netflix, yeah, we we made the error uh, uh, paying for it. Okay, so on that note, we'll have a short break, and then we shall return to discuss the final film, The Visit. Hey, Cherish, it's eight o'clock. Is it time to get the show on the screen or what? Do you enjoy watching films with friends? Do you like to consume vats of alcohol? It's the forties. It's some bitches, baby. Yeah. Me, I like beer. If you like all that and none of those artsy fartsy films, does this mean we don't get to go to the Fellini Festival? Fuck the Fellini Festival! Then watch and listen to two drink minimum commentaries. Every Wednesday, myself and a rotating panel of the filthiest podcasters I can muster up give you our comments, observations, and sometimes we might actually talk about the film as we class up some of your favorite films the only way we know how. As raunchy as we can. <laughs> What's this movie, PG? Crap. Oh, yeah. This podcast sure is fucking. Not only do you get the audio, but the video that goes with it. Just listen to the shit that comes out of these filthy pirates. <laughs> you don't need to get an erection when your cock's full of rigor mortis. <laughs> fucking curb stomp a baby for a baconator right now. <laughs> I think the moral of the story is don't let Corky run Cerebro. Unforgivable. If you could stand all that, Come and get your fill and your fix of Two Drink Minimum Commentaries. All the cool kids are doing it. Two Drink Minimum Commentaries is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Okay, guys. Um, <laughs> I've just seen the poster for this film, and geez, Louise, it's all Grandma's Rules. <laughs> so it's done like a kind of cross stitch, and it's got like weird stains and blood prints down it, and there's like a little house, um, and it says. Grandma's rules. Number one, have a great time. Number two, eat as much as you want. Number three, don't ever leave your room after 9.30pm. From the director of The Sixth Sense and Science <laughs> and the producer of Paranormal Activity. Was he? I don't know. I'm reading the, the poster. I don't All right. Yeah, so it's directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Um, Shyamalan. Shyamalan. Yeah. The director of 1992's Praying with Anger. 
<laughs> was praying with <laughs> praying with anger. Yeah, it's his first film. I'll tell you, you can't argue with his results. From the writer of 1999's Stuart Little. <laughs> that is true. They spent $5 million on this and they made a return of $100 million. Now, to me, that is a rip-roaring success. Yep. So this film is... From the director, producer, writer and actor of The Happening and The Last Airbender. <laughs> so that's, that's film. And The Village. And Signs. And Lady in the Water. This film clocks in a rather lovely 94 minutes, which I'm always very pleased to see. So they've already done a... They've already got me uh, on side. Um, so, oh, God. It you know. takes a while, though. <laughs> it takes about three hours. <laughs> oh, it's a seriously unenjoyable mood. <laughs> Did you have a couple of cuts at it? No, I watched it all in one go, but it felt like I'd had to watch it several times. There you go. You'd have been quicker going to your grandma's house. Oh, it was awful. There you go. Um, so Not my grandma's house. My grandma's house was great. Oh, there you go. So, two siblings become increasingly frightened by their grandparents' disturbing behaviour while visiting them on vacation. Vacation. Yeah. I was listening to a cover version of Blue Monday the other day there by an artist who I've been currently enjoying called Lapsley. Never um, heard of them. Is it old chip tune? No, it's a it's a girl, um and she does kinda it's it's good weird electronica stuff, um where she uses her uses like a kind of vocoder thing. Uh, to do harmonies, it's very good. But the, this cover version, she gets the lyrics wrong on the cover version of Blue Order. And she's, uh, of <laughs> New, <laughs> Blue, Blue, Monday, Blue, New Order. Blue World Order from uh, yeah. <laughs> ECW, Blue Meanie, uh, Steve Richards. <laughs> um, uh, so what, what lyrics does those, she get wrong? Those who came before me lived through their blank. <laughs> Those who came before me left through there. Uh, oh, that you're doing it as a quiz. Yes. Uh, live through their vocations. Vocation. Yeah, yes. vocations. Well, she said that those who came before her left through their vacations, <laughs> <laughs> and that annoyed me way more than it probably should have. Is she from the Hamptons? I think she may be. <laughs> You probably find she's somebody from Made in Chelsea. <laughs> oh my goodness! So yeah, that was oh, it's crazy. it's the tourist video for Sam Moritz. There you go. So the visit, the visit, the visit, the visit. Um, so it starts off with our. Uh, it's basically again two kids and the lead characters, Becca and Tyler, and they are leaving their mum. Um, who has she? She's been dating basically, and she needs a yeah. chance to basically, you know, have a chance with this new guy. 
without the kids around. So the kids decide that they are going to arrange a chance to go and stay with their nana and pop pop um at their at their home, which is quite far away, and let their mother go on a cruise uh, a cruise trip. Um so it's filmed in the form of a documentary. Um so obviously using very good equipment. Um yep. uh, <laughs> professional it's excellent equipment yeah. for a fifteen year old. <laughs> so um so Becca This is the first camera that Mum found in the rejects bin. Yes. It just happens to be movie quality. Yes. So Becca <laughs> is um she's a kinda aspiring director but also a bit of an auto. Um and Tyler as a very white uh, rapper, um, wannabe rapper, yeah. and he's probably about thirteen, and she's probably about like sixteen or fifteen or something. Um, he's fifteen, he's thirteen. All ah, right, okay. So the thing that I read. Yeah, so the the whole thing follows them. It's almost like kind of they're doing a travel log, and the idea behind the whole trip is to try and get their nana and pop pop to give. Uh, their mother forgiveness for something that happened um you know many years ago that the mother won't say yeah the mother won't say she ran away with the she kind of tells you that she ran away with their father and then it's kind of went went wrong yeah um, but the, the, she, the crucially doesn't say exactly what what happened um there so they get to their their nana and pop pop's place and they're they're greeted by them um, and they're really nice, and everything's cool, and they're they're very uh, you know very friendly to the, their grandchildren, and um, especially since they've never met them. Yeah, so they've they've never met them, and that's kind of crucial. Um, <laughs> uh, and as the film progresses, um, the basically the kids are told, "Don't leave your room." After nine thirty, it's probably better. We're old people. We need, you know, we need a bit of quiet. Nana's sundowning. Uh huh. That's because that's well. The that's what he tells her. Uh huh. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Nana suffers from a mental illness. <laughs> yeah. It's an imbalance when the moon comes out, and she'll do strange things. Like, was it the first night she walks out and? Scratches the walls and stuff, and uh, projectile vomits. Yeah, yeah, and everything. And if I went to see my grandmother that I'd never met, and that happened on the first night, I'd be fine as well. That's that's what annoyed me about this film. What annoyed you about it? Well, straight away, if somebody that you've never met is standing in front of you and projectile vomiting. Naked. Uh huh. Yeah, you don't slowly back away. You. If it's a family member, oh, you still you go, just go, oh, you okay? Yeah, let me help you. <laughs> What's up with you? Yeah, but this this woman obviously looks feral. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of takes you out of a wee bit. But, um, but then the, the next morning they don't say, Gran, why did you look like that creature from Wreck last night? <laughs> <laughs> but they, they do ask the grandpa about it. And, you know, as, as things go and you kind of get to the point of, of thinking, well, both grandparents are obviously older they're both suffering from dementia and supporting each other how they can and trying to you know trying to hide the various you know issues that they're having as older people um and they actually tell their mother over skype you know this is what's what's and she says oh they're old yeah that's it so um 
Yeah, and, and the the camera on the, the laptop is accidentally um, damaged by uh, the grandmother at one point as well. And and unfortunately, the, the <laughs> film prodigy daughter uh-huh. is not aware that she's got two other cameras <laughs> that she's clearly charging yes. and has USB cables for. She could just plug one of them in and be like, hey, look, Mum, I'm using the even better camera than the stock one on the laptop. Yeah. Here we are in HD. Look at our crazy grandparents. Yes. So, yeah, and <laughs> as as things go, and, you know, we find, we find out that they are both counsellors at uh, uh, a psychiatric uh, hospital, and... Um, you know, one of their friends who also volunteers there comes by and tries to speak to them, wants to speak to them about, you know, the the going on going ons that have been happening at the hospital and how there's been a big hubbub about something, but you don't necessarily get to find out what that is. And a doctor comes round as well. Later, oh, was it a doctor? Well, the doctor What's comes round. Oh, that's right. Oh, and then the and then uh-huh. someone that says the. The grandparents helped them. Oh uh-huh, yes. Uh-huh. Comes round with a blueberry cobbler. Yes. And the and the granddaughter's quite rude to her, because when she's saying just stand there and look natural, I thought that woman looked quite natural. And she's standing there holding a freshly baked blueberry cobbler that probably smells nice. She's smiling, and the granddaughter's constantly saying, "No, just look natural." Mm-hmm. So if there's anything that you can take away from this film, it is that. That granddaughter has never held a freshly baked blueberry cobbler. There we go. Um, okay, so probably best not to not to spoil too much about this one, but basically, you know, the the the, the story progresses and there's a central mystery, um, and a twist, <laughs> of course, because it's M Night Shyamalan, and yep, that's what he does. Um, you know, the, the twist is quite easy to to get. Uh, yeah, you know, I didn't see this one coming a mile off, to be honest. Not a mile off, no. but there were enough questions there. Yeah. Uh-huh. I thought, because they did hammer home the the whole kind of distance from between the mother and the grandparents. Mm-hmm. You know, the oh, I've not seen them, and the, the kids know nothing about them, mm-hmm. and then when you start to get the questions that are raised further on, like the the adult diaper one mm-hmm. and her vomiting and then the, oh, she's got this mental illness. Mm-hmm. If the people that these kids are meant to be visiting are like this incredibly well-adjusted couple that everybody says they are, mm-hmm. And that they volunteer with mental health patients, and that there's something that's going on at the mental health facility that nobody's talking about. You start to think, wonder if this is all connected. The way they just keep going, there's very little storyline to this film, but here's the bit. Oh yeah, that really, that really is. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. here's some kids wandering around the farm, but every once in a while, somebody will turn up to remind you what great people your grandparents are and how loved they are and, oh, there's something gone wrong at the Mental Health Institute. Oh, but remember your grandmother's mental... It's not quite, put across, it's not quite mental... put across in those terms, though. It's not quite... 
you know, put across as something's gone wrong. It's more... Well, it's, uh, have they heard about the, like, kerfuffle? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's no, no, you know, it's not put across as being this massive, um, you know, massive deal. So I think think it was handled quite well, as much as this is clearly the worst film of the three (laughs) that we watched. Um, absolutely the worst film of the three it, it kind of yeah. handles and keeps the mystery a wee bit closer to its chest um, and uh, again that's kind of what, what M. Night Shyamalan has done and I mean you can criticise him to your blow in the face but you know it, it does, he makes the money he does quite well with these things and he does it well this it does is a budget job. of 5 million and yeah. made like 100 million I've you know I've no problem with that I enjoyed this one and as much as this is definitely the worst film that we saw this week um, it was enjoyable yeah. nonetheless it's like you know and I, the kids were good yet again yeah kids were kids were good again but you know the, the, the story that was lacking the ending was awful though. the wrapping yes the, 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 the you know the, just the, this isn't too much of a spoiler to say um that after some absolutely horrendous stuff goes down at the end of the film, um, we get the little boy Tyler um, rapping a synopsis of the whole film. Um, yep. Um, while his sister stands in the background and laughs, despite you know all of this horrendous stuff happening to them. Yeah. They've been through things that would make people run through windows to get to the nearest police officer. Yes. And then all of a sudden he's, like, cocked his hat. And... <laughs> so, yeah, very silly. Um, yeah, he's he's no vanilla eyes. Well, to your mother. Eminem. Eminem. He's got... a bit like Eminem. Eminem's a delicious. He is a bit like Eminem. How so? He's dropping the misogyny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he was. He kept finishing every rap with the word "ho," yeah, which is just bizarre. Thirteen-year-old boy singing about all the bitches. Yeah, it's not. I mean, the that actually makes him a more realistic character than yeah. any of the other ones in all the films we've watched. Yeah, not a terrible film. Um, slight, some slightly you know good good humoured parts, and I, I particularly enjoyed any time that <laughs> any time a male character found out he was being filmed. He basically says, oh, I used to be an actor, and then starts reciting yeah. uh, Shakespeare, so that happens with the bus conductor and also with the doctor. Um, I quite like that. That's my sense of humour, I think. It's just like... <laughs> I did read the... There was a, the first cut of the film, just a him didn't really work uh-huh. at all. Is this the... the it was really dark in tone. Yeah, I read that there was three and cuts made of the film, that there was one that was... The second really... cut came out like a comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to see that cut. Slapstick. Yeah. I want to see... Like, see if it is just the entire film as every scene is being narrated by the little brother through the medium of rap. <laughs> That'd be good. Um... <laughs> Ah uh, yes, so no, that's and uh, there's also a kind of little weird subplot that that's kind of cool as well. Um, it's not cool; it's just kind of silly. But I, I, it was an interesting distraction. The thing with aliens. Oh yeah, <laughs> I quite like that. Um, so, but I didn't believe it because, as we all know now, aliens are uh, afraid of water. So, oh yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. There we go. So they they would have no nefarious plans that involved needing a lake. 
Yeah. I wonder where we learned that brilliance from. Yeah, so some pretty grim films this week, Gil. Yeah. So we, need to, we need to do some fairly uh, upbeat next week, I think. Yeah. This is, uh, this is ridiculous. I did suggest that instead of doing The Visit, we should do Crimson Peak. Here we go. And that is like just gothic horror. <laughs> but I think we'll leave that one for a while as well now. Sure. Can we just do Gene Wilder films for the next Yeah, two? I think so. I think we need to. We need to cleanse the palate. I was going to say that, um, did you ever watch Vids when it was on? I did, Steph yeah. and Nigel. Um, well, those are now all up on YouTube. Um, I encourage people to, to check those out. Um, I thought it'd be fun at some point to do like a kind of four later uh, type thing because I've got the DVD of uh, Trauma's Edge TV. I thought we could maybe watch a couple of episodes of Vids and then a couple of episodes of Trauma's Edge TV. Uh, about, about late late 90s uh, nostalgia what and then review yeah. review, review review shows review review shows on oh, a review show you best review show it. review review which one uh, I think I think I would be Steffi boy I think you're the Nigel <laughs> you know uh... you're, the, you're the personality I'm the brawn <laughs> there we go anyway so those are up on YouTube I would encourage people to yeah, we look at that, and it's also the, the there's a vids official uh, Facebook page as well. Um, okay, so they should bring that back. They definitely should, but they will never do anything like that. They will yeah. never do, yeah, because I mean it's it's cheap to make. It's like a perfect confluence. Uh, that four later year was just absolutely fantastic for for you know really offbeat content and. And they are bringing back Euro Trash for one night only. One night only, my friends, on the night. Yeah. The, Antoine de Cohn and Jean-Paul Gaultier. Hello, my British Jews. <laughs> Presenting one of the best shows of the 1990s. That was a good show. That was. Okay, um, so guys, in summary, we think uh, Eurotrash is good and we think an Oscar-nominated <laughs> film is bad. Um, so if you believe us, uh, there's something wrong with you. Um <laughs> Thank you very much indeed for listening. It's going to be a wee short one, I think. Um, this uh, you can find us um, as ever on Facebook uh, at Gil and Roscoe's Bodacious Horror Podcast. We're also on Twitter. Uh, I myself am at Bodacious Horror, and my dear friend Gil is at Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl. <laughs> <laughs> Were you an early adopter? No, I just want him to get some of the tweets that I get. Oh, good on you. That's very spirited. <laughs> they're all very nice so it's just spirited after we were discussing Casper a spirited beginning starring Steve Gutenberg. yeah but that was before we even started recording yeah I know but just giving yeah. people a wee window that's the, the other sort of hard hitting films that we discuss <laughs> the ones that Steve Gutenberg were thoroughly discussed before we started recording absolutely and you made a terrible hot chocolate I did and Gil is at <laughs> At Gil Rockatansky. Indeed, indeed. Um, as ever, um, we very much appreciate any iTunes reviews if you've got the time to do that. Um, you can also provide us with feedback at bodacious horror. Sorry, it's bodacious horror at gmail dot com. Yep. And on that note, um, we shall say uh, good evening. And once again, please don't have nightmares. Are you sitting by an open window? Yes. Don't fall out. Okay. Ha <laughs> <laughs>
I saw her love. 